How many of you were in uh, the meetings with Pastor Lisa? Weren't they good? Very, very good. Great meetings. You know, it's time, isn't it? You're going to sit back and wait for God to do everything. We're going to be waiting a long time. He can't do anything without us. Isn't that right? So we're going to have to step up to the plate and do what we need to do. Thank you for your excitement. Everybody gets excited about God wants to bring you victory. God is going to deliver you. God will heal you. Well, you need to, ooh. You ever notice that? <laughs> you want to call Pastor Lisa back? She was nicer. Okay. All right. Let's open up to Hebrews chapter 6, where we've been for the last few weeks, several weeks. I don't know how many weeks. But we've been talking actually about building the house of our life, you know, and um, about the foundations. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, leaving the elementary principles or teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And, uh, you know, we've covered almost all of these now as foundations and also about moving on off of the foundation or building off of the foundation. You don't leave it like you leave it behind. You leave it as far as working on it. When you've worked on the foundation, now you build your house. But you always have to check your foundation because cracks in the foundation can cause your house to come down. Isn't that right? Amen. Hallelujah. So one of the last things we had talked about was, uh, let's see, in verse 2, uh, the laying on of hands. Um, we know that the laying on of hands in the Old Testament, in the law of atonement, they laid hands on the, the goat, and uh, it was a transference of the sin of the people of the world, of the people of Israel, and then they would send the, the goat off into the wilderness. Isn't that right? One lamb was slain, and it was offered up. The blood of the animal was offered up for, atone, for um, forgiveness of sins for the high priest. And then the um, other goat was sent off into the wilderness as a sign or a type or a shadow of carrying their sin away, which was for a year. It covered their sin for a year. Well, in the same way, Jesus, you know, his blood was shed just like the lamb that was shed. And also he carried our sins off into a wilderness and carried our sin away from us, but not to be covered for a year, but that when we accept Jesus as Lord, our sins are forgiven and removed. Isn't that right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So the laying on our hands was a symbol of transference. In Acts chapter 8, go ahead over there. Acts chapter 8. And let's read verses 14 through 17, and let's see some laying on of hands in the New Testament. Um, we don't need to spend much time on this. But Acts 8, 14 through 17 says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And what does that mean to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? To be immersed. It doesn't mean you were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptism does not mean water. When you're baptized in water, you're immersed in water. When you're baptized in Jesus, you're immersed in Jesus. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? So don't think water when you see the word baptized. Okay? So they laid their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So there was a transference of the anointing for them to receive the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 1.6 and I know Pastor Lisa mentioned this verse, 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
Okay, so there was a gifting transferred through the laying on of hands. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. About Jesus. It says, while the sun was setting, all those who had any, all the, while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. Okay, so Jesus moved in the laying on of hands. Okay, now, just as a little review, he laid his hands on them and he was healing them. And what does the word healing mean? Yes, but how does the healing happen is what I'm really getting at. Progressively recovering. We have all of this Hollywood idea of the spectacular of laying hands on them and boom, automatically healed. Well, that's not always the case. In fact, majority of times, it's not the case. The majority of times, healing comes progressively and recovering. And when you think that you're recovering, oh, I know I'm getting better, but you are trying to get the spectacular to work. You need to settle in on the supernatural move of God that operates progressively and brings recovery. Amen. So we see the laying on of hands. There's the transference of sin. There's the forgiveness of sin. Transference of the Holy Spirit, of giftings, and of healing. Amen. Well, then we go over to Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 through 17. Mark 16, verses 15 through 17. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will follow those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Was that 17? Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. I, we needed more. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, media. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. All right, so who would lay hands on the sick? No, not a believer. One who believes. It's one who believes that laying on hands of the sick will bring recovery. It's not a believer. It's one who believes, because there's a lot of believers that do not believe. So it doesn't mean that just being a believer, but you have to be a believer that actually believes. I mean, why are you a believer? Because you believed in Jesus. Isn't that right? So you had to believe to be a believer. Well, now that you're a believer, you don't quit believing. <laughs> These signs will follow those who believe. If you don't believe in speaking in tongues, guess what? There's no speaking in tongues. If you don't believe that if you drink something deadly that you can be healed of it, guess what? You won't be healed. And you'll be a believer seeing your creator quickly. So as a believer, you have to believe. And don't be an unbelieving believer. <laughs> Amen. Laying hands on the sick for all of those who believe. All right. It's the transference of healing and the anointing of God. And God uses hands for touching people because your hands become an extension of his hands that are wanting to help others. Now, of course, on the other side, there has to be a reception of that. Isn't that right? And... Um, there's always the two sides, the giving and the receiving, all right? The provision and the reception of that provision. And um, it says they'll lay hands on the sick and they will what? Recover. recover, which is what healing's about. Recovering, progressively recovering. Amen. Have people been healed where tumors fell off of them? Sure they have, okay? But that's just not the norm. The normal is progressively recovering. So we want to understand the foundation principle of laying on of hands and move on and press on into the maturity of action. 
which builds our house on a solid foundation. Okay? So the next thing he talks about in Hebrews chapter 6 is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, these two go hand in hand. Okay? The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay? And they were religious leaders. And they're teaching the people. Right? You know, uh, go over to Acts chapter 17 for a moment. Verse 32. Acts 17, verse 32. And the Apostle Paul is over on Mars Hill. Now, Mars Hill is the place where all the philosophers would gather. And whoever had a new philosophy would be able to stand before the group and declare their new philosophy. And everybody would judge and listen to this new philosophy. So the Apostle Paul goes to Mars Hill and he starts declaring Jesus. And he says, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this, you know. So some philosophers ridiculed what he said about the resurrection of the dead. You know, not everybody believes what you tell them. Not everybody's going to listen to what we say. But that doesn't mean you quit saying it. You know, if you've backed off from saying stuff because people have not received what you've said, well, then you think you have something to say. And you need to realize you don't have anything to say. The only thing you have to say is what the word of God says. And if they reject what you say, they've rejected the one that gave you that to say. And you need to stop taking it personal. The one who waters is nothing. The one who sows is nothing. So stop adding so much importance to yourself. Which is usually where? In our emotions. My emotions don't like the fact that people rejected it because you're taking it personally. If people are rejecting what you're saying, then you should be more intent on getting it out even more. Let their rejection empower you. Stop letting it stifle you. Amen. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verse 28, 29. And Jesus said here, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgments. So Jesus is speaking about the resurrection according to Old Testament teaching. All right. And resurrection usually means the raising of the body. All right. The Sadducees denied resurrection and the raising of the body. And they denied the future state and separate existence of the soul and spirit. They also denied angels. They also denied spirits. They denied almost everything that had to do with the supernatural. So Jesus is not only talking about a resurrected body, but he's talking about a life hereafter. A resurrection of life or a resurrection of judgment. Guess what? Everybody has a resurrection. But where you go after that resurrection is determined on what you do on this side of resurrection. Everybody will be resurrected. The, 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 the Sadducees didn't believe that. They pretty much believed when you die, you go in the dirt and you're done. Well, there's a lot of religions that are coned right after the Sadducees. They believe in the same thing. And they, they usually take that one verse, I think it's out of Ecclesiastes, and it says, when animal and man dies, they go to the same place. But, of course, we know most of Ecclesiastes has to do with the physical body and the physical life. And he's talking about animals and man, their bodies go into the dirt. But a man's spirit and soul goes on. Isn't that right? Amen. So Jesus is talking about a resurrected body, but he's also talking about life after the resurrection, which includes rewards or losses based on faith, uh, based on the life that we have lived by faith. Amen.
Acts 23, verses 1 through 8. Acts 23, verses 1 through 8. It says, Paul, looking intently at the council, said. So here he is before the council again, and he's got to defend some things. He said, brethren, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. <laughs> and Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> he says, do you sit and try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, Paul began crying out to the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> and as he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. <laughs> so what should have been a foundational belief among the religious leaders, it has created discontent. The Sadducees discount it, but the Pharisees believe it. And as usual, the religious that are in the flesh are now taking their belief and they're arguing and they're debating and they're even fighting to show that they're right. In fact, what did it say? Was it two verses, one verse back, verse seven? And other verse began. They went, yeah, there they occurred a dissension and it says that that word dissension, okay, it, one translation, I think, no, yeah, it was a dissension that created a discord in the council. So Paul's right here before the council. He sees there's Sadducees and there's Pharisees. So what does he do? I think I'll bring up the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, verse 9. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the, Pharisaic, of, the, of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. <laughs> all right, so there was an uproar. All of a sudden, there's an uproar. and They're all sitting there. They're all intent on getting Paul. But all of a sudden, Paul mentions the resurrection of the dead, and there's a major uproar now in the council. And the word uproar means clamor and outcry, loud screaming. It's a heck of a church service, I tell you that. They were arguing. They began to argue heatedly, to contend and to fight for, for what they believe. They fought with severity and thoroughness protesting strongly for their right to hold on to what they believed I'd call it an outbreak with a passion a passion to be proved right I will be proved right you will be proved wrong that's what Pastor Lisa was talking about having a voice but not getting into that nonsense verse 10 here we go <laughs> verse 10 and as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. <laughs> afraid he's going to be torn to pieces. <laughs> you know, what love there was. <laughs> what do you expect from religion? That's what religion is. And I've been around religious people that, man, they will fight you tooth and nail for their right to be wrong. I mean, my goodness. I mean, fight. I mean, all you have to do is say, well, I don't know if I've, oh, you see the whole countenance change. And they're ready to attack you, man. They're like a, a, a wolf on a hunt or something. Paul needed military protection from the religious leaders. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> you know. 
I mean, forget about the fact that they're not even saved. They didn't even believe in the Old Testament. And they're leaders of Israel. Their traditions were more important. And they were going to intensely fight to prove their tradition without any proof. Just that this is what we believe. Don't be a Christian like that and go, well, this is what we believe. You better have proof and know what the word of God has to say. Amen. See, this is why people say, and you've heard this expression. Never argue about politics or religion. Never argue about it. You know why you shouldn't argue about it? You know why there's so many political arguments that never get settled? Because neither one arguing has any proof of anything. It's stuff you heard. And there's stuff you heard. So now you have an opinion and you have an opinion, but y'all ain't got no evidence. So therefore, the argument never ends. And it's the same thing with religious arguments. People argue, 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 but what's the proof of what you're saying? The Word of God. When you bring the Word of God in, they're no longer arguing with you. They're going to argue with the Word. Are you with me? And that's why I say you need to have an evidence, just like Stephen, when he was out in the street and he's declaring the things of the word of God, they could not stand against the wisdom that he was speaking. See, because your opinion carries no weight, but the word of God carries power. Amen. Hallelujah. So again, Jesus said there is a resurrection resurrection of the body and there is life after physical death in which there are rewards and there are losses there's resurrection and there's judgment what kind of judgment eternal judgment what does eternal judgment mean once you're judged it's never changing done your only chance for the best judgment you can have when you leave this earth is what you do on this earth it's the only chance you have you have this small space of time on the earth. I don't care if you live 120 years. It's a small space of time as compared to eternity. And you've been given this space of time to walk in the things you need to walk in to create eternal rewards. Amen. Or eternal losses. What you, what you step into eternity and lose you'll never get back. And what you step into eternity and gain, that's all you will gain. You understand? You know, there are different levels of rewards in heaven and there are different levels of punishment in hell. Do you ever hear that expression? Well, there's a special place in hell for that, for them, what they do. You know, well, there's levels of hell, there's levels of punishment and there's levels of rewards. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter four. Verse 13 through 17. First Thessalonians four, 13 through 17. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Never calls a Christian dead. In the Bible, Christians do not die. They fall asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, we always say it's a glorious family reunion. Isn't that right? Amen. And it's, of course, it's a family reunion for believers. And we'll have an eternity of a blissful and glorious life with the Lord. Now, when you meet the Lord in the air, it doesn't mean that you're going to meet him in the air and go on. You could meet him in the air and come back to earth and defeat the devil. 
I mean, we don't really know the whole deal, you know. Yeah, it'd be great. Either way, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. How about you? So again, he's talking here about the resurrection of the dead. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I'm sorry, 15, 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If our hope dies with this life, we are most pitied. Whoever thinks that when your life on this earth is done, you're finished, you are the most pitied person that there is. If we believe that there is nothing after this life on earth, then what are we living for? You're living for today. You're living for like that rich man that had so much. He says, oh, I think I'll build more bonds and just store up all my stuff and just, you know, just enjoy everything and and the Lord said, oh, fool, do you not know that your life is required of you today? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that God was requiring his life, but the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right. Are you with me? You know, so if we think that our life ends in this earth, we're very pitied, very pitied. The foundation of our life as a believer is resurrection of our physical body and eternal life with it, with a spirit, soul and body and eternal judgment that we walk into heaven based on what we did in this earth, that there will be rewards and there will be losses. But we know that God's judgment is just. Isn't that right? We won't be judged as a believer. You're not judged as far as if you're going to get into heaven. But you are judged based on your life and what rewards you will get or what losses you will have. Right? Amen. Amen. So if he says here, if, I ho if we hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Okay? Well, we could say, oh, no, no, I, I, I believe in the resurrection. I know that there's an eternity. Well, what are you doing to prepare for it? You know, this is like saying, you know, next month we're moving to California and I'm moving on the 1st of October. So maybe about four o'clock in the morning, I'll get up and do something to get ready. Would you do that? Well, how long is it going to take you to get ready for your eternity? How long is it going to take you to get prepared for what rewards you're going to receive when you get into eternity? What are you doing on earth to prepare for that day? That eternal life, what, what are we doing? That's in the, you don't have to answer that, but you need to answer it to yourself. See, what are you doing with your life that is preparing for eternity? Or is it just, well, I just hope to make it through today and tomorrow. You know, what are you doing? God has given you everything you need. To live a successful, victorious life, not just for yourself, but for everything he wants you to do. Amen. John chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. See, it's all about living your life with a view of eternity. You know, you should look back on the day, look back on the week. What did you do to help? increase your eternity when you stand before the lord is he going to say well done or is he going to say medium rare or is he going to say raw you know what is he going to say john 5 23 and 24 so that all will honor the son even as they honor the father he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, undoubtedly, undeniably, and irrevocably, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death and into life. Okay? The resurrection, the life that is set up for all eternity 
eternal judgments. All of these things are basic, foundational, elementary. Do you know why? Because there's nothing you can do to create it. And there's nothing you can do to prevent it. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to create or prevent eternal judgments. There's nothing you can do to create or prevent resurrection of the dead. Nothing you can do about it. It's set. If you're living on this earth, you will go through resurrection. You will come into eternal judgment. God's the one that laid out the whole program. It's our believing it that lays the foundation in our life. Isn't that right? Amen. Jesus is the foundation for salvation. It's already been set. He's the chief cornerstone. You can't work for it. You can only choose it. The foundational principles can be taken hold of even as an immature babe in Christ. They require no maturity at all. It's just a matter of will you believe it or not. It's all it is. When it comes to the elementary things, will you believe it or won't you believe it? They require no maturity. You know, think about an infant. We just got a new great-grandbaby. Infant. Little, little guy. Needs milk. Cries. Makes noise. Why? Because they need some milk. And they will cry and make noise until they get or until they receive what is available. The milk's available. And in order to get it, they'll cry and make noise. I need milk. Right? They don't make the milk. They don't go to the refrigerator for the milk. They don't go to the store to shop for milk. They just say, I need, I need, I need, I need. And the provider which is the mother, is there to give what she worked for so the infant can have what the infant needs. But that infant is to grow up into maturity and become like their mother providing. There's nothing that infant has to do to get the provision except cry and make noise. And a lot of believers get saved and cry and make a lot of noise. And God just gives to them because they're babies. But they want to stay there. And they don't want to grow up into a mature Christian. They want to keep with the crying and the I need and I got to have and I want and make all kinds of noise. But God doesn't seem to respond anymore. How come? Because you haven't grown up. You're beyond the years of, nah, nah. you're beyond those years. <laughs> Are we? Are we beyond those years? Okay. <laughs> but it's just like the children of Israel. They were in the wilderness and God provided for them every day, manna, and then he provided meat. He provided water for them. They didn't have to do nothing. But then they get into the promised land. And the day they enter in, the manna stops. And God's like, okay, I'm here with you. Let's go take some land. Let's go take some cities. Let's go take the land. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I liked it in the wilderness. Just give me what I need. Yeah. See, and that's the way people live. Just give me what I need and I'm okay. And that's a very selfish life. Very selfish life. You still love me? Thank you. God bless you. I'll remember you in my prayers tonight. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2.11. Uh, we're going to look at 11, 14, and 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 11, I'm um, sorry, verse 11, 14, and 15. 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, spiritually discerned, and spiritually understood. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. He understands all things. And yet he himself is understood by no one. So he's talking about the natural versus the spiritual. We were all natural. We were spiritually dead because of sin in our life. But it wasn't just sin. It was sin in our nature. Sin within our spirit. Isn't that right? Because that's where your nature comes from, within your spirit. Your personality is not your nature. What's in your spirit is your nature. The natural man cannot understand what the spiritual man can. The Spirit of God reveals the thoughts of God. No one knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of the man within him. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The spirit of God reveals those things to the spirit man. Isn't that right? Okay. Ungodly spiritual things may be available for the natural man to operate in, but that natural man is unable to understand or operate in God's spiritual arena. So don't think that if somebody is, is, is uh, not born again and they're spiritually dead, don't think that they can't operate in spiritual things. It's just not godly spiritual things. And unless you know the anointing of God, you can be fooled. Amen. The spiritual man examines, investigates, and understands all things. Although the, the, although the spiritual man can see into the natural realm, we as new creatures also have inside information. Okay? We can look into the spirit realm regarding a situation or a circumstance and understand what's really going on. And we can even look to God and know what a solution is for it as the Holy Spirit reveals the answer to our spirit through the Word of God. Amen. This is not a bunch of ooey stuff. This is just about knowing who you are and hearing from the Holy Spirit within you. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? Okay, well, what about the things that God's prepared that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not entered into the mind of man? But he reveals it to us through his spirit. Amen. This is not about, you know, I have an emotion, I have a feeling. This is knowing the voice of God within your spirit. God with a big G. There's a voice of a lot of little G gods. But then there's the voice of the MHG, the Most High God. So we have to grow beyond the foundational principles and press on into maturity. And the day we live in is calling for it. It's calling for it. There has to be a growth in the church. Romans 8, 5. Jesus is coming back for what kind of a church? He's not coming back to make you a glorious church. He's coming back for a glorious church. So the church has to be glorious before he gets here. The church has to stop being the ones that are going, oh, Jesus, won't you come back? Oh, Jesus, I need you to come back now. No, the church needs to get out of that. He's given you his word, his spirit, his anointing. He's given you all kinds of things that you need. He's given you his very life, his very nature. He's washed you clean of sin. He's made you brand new. He's given you what you need to renew your mind, get your body under control, to walk in the things of God, not compromising, not doing it based on convenience, doing it based on conviction. Romans 8, 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
Now let's look at verse 6 while we're here. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Well, the mindset on the flesh, in some translation says, to be carnally minded. And that's what the mindset on the flesh is. It's being carnally minded, right? So we can be born again, but if we only operate as a flesh being, we are carnal Christians. Because our interest is earth-based, not heaven-based. We're living for today, living for things on the earth. We're not living for eternity. We're not planning for our eternity. We're carnal. The mind can be set on the things of earth, or the mind can be set on the things of the spirit. The mindset produces actions. The mindset will produce actions. Okay? Now, let me say this. I can get up. I can go sit down in my chair. I can pray in the Holy Ghost and go, oh, it's just so wonderful. Oh, it's just so good. This is great. Oh, no, just, oh. That's not going to produce anything for you. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. But that's the place You need to hear something from the Lord. That's the place where if you open up your Bible, you'll get a revelation of things and an understanding that gets seeded into your spirit. It's not about the feeling of peace that's going to do anything for you. Are you with me? Because I can get up from that chair and just be as carnal as I was before I sat down. It's the mindset that will produce actions. So when I get those revelations from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit, get things imparted to me, the engrafted Word in me, man, that's going to produce an action. But without that sitting in His presence and being open to Him, I won't get that revelation. Are you with me? I can look at the Word and I could see you should not lie. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to work on that. I shouldn't lie. And I shouldn't, I'm not saying you shouldn't work on it. You should. But that is not producing your answer because now you might try to do that in the flesh. Oh, I got to make myself not do I got to make myself, I got to make myself not do this. And what you have to do is take the word of God and meditate on the word. Do not lie to one another. 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 You don't know how many times I would say it over and over again. Judge not lest you be judged. 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 Over and over and over and over. And I got so sick of saying it. But I had to say it over and over. You know what, you know what it means when, it, when you go, I'm so sick of saying that? It means you ain't got it. That's what that means. You ain't got it. And you need to get back at it. <laughs> that's what it means. Yep. Because <laughs> if you had it, you'd be like, yeah, that's right. No. No. When you say, I'm tired of saying this, I'm tired of hearing this, you, that means you didn't get it. <laughs> it's like sitting in church and hearing the same service over again that you heard a while ago. And you're like, oh, I heard this before. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. Because <laughs> Peter said, I will... I will always edify you by bringing to your remembrance what you'd already. See, it's not about having a new word from God, whether it's a new thing or whether it's an old thing. It's just got to be a thing. Like right now thing, it doesn't matter if you've heard it five times before, you need to hear it right now. You know, we have guest speakers come in. I sit down with my iPad and they're talking about stuff and they're saying stuff I already know and I'm writing it down. Why? Because I'm hearing it again. I'm getting it again. The more you get it, the more you get it. (laughs) Amen. The mindset is what produces actions. Being mindful of the uh, being mindful of things as the what will produce the eternal rewards or losses. That's how we have to be mindful. Is this going to produce a reward or is this going to produce a loss? Your life is a profit and loss statement. You will enter into heaven with your statement of profit and loss. And you're going to have to show what was a profit, 
what was a loss. Not that you will debate with God over what was a profit or loss. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Didn't you see this in this column over here? Did you miss that? <laughs> now, listen, we all know this is a growing process. This doesn't happen overnight. But there has to be a willingness to want to grow. There has to be that willingness. Isn't that right? A person can age in calendar years and can grow in stature. It does not make up our character, nor does it bring a person into a mature adulthood. So in the same way, it's not about how many years you've been saved or how much you've grown in mental knowledge of the Word of God, but having character developed based on the Word of God and living in accordance with the Word of life. That's what it's all about. It's not about knowing the word. It's about living the word. And we know how to live the word. You meditate on the word. You get it in your heart. You get it in your mouth. You get it in your decisions and in your choices. You meditate on the word. You get it in your heart. You get it in your mouth. You get it in your decisions and get it in your choices. And when obstacles come, obstacles of your emotions and obstacles of your flesh, you say, no, this is what the word of God says. It's in my heart. It's in my mouth. And I'm declaring this to you. And you're going to have to move out of the way because this is the direction I'm going. We all know how to do that. It's just do it. Right? Yes. And we do that, don't we? Yes. Thank you for your agreement. I heard that mostly up front. <laughs> the natural man is one that's not born again. The carnal man is one that is born again, but walketh through life in his old nature. His old thought patterns, his old habits, his old ways of doing things, the way mama always did it, the way Bob is the way we've always done it, that's carnal. Unwilling to change because that's the way you've always been. The spiritual man is one that's born again and walks in his new nature. He's walking his life immersed in Christ, walking in that new nature. So it's a growth pattern. All right. We've all been the natural man, not born again. We get born again and we're all the carnal man because we don't know anything yet. We haven't learned anything. So when you get born again, you're carnal. But then you grow into being spiritual. And as we grow, some areas of our life, we've learned to operate as a spirit being. And then there's other areas of our life, we remain carnal. And then there's some things we don't want to change. I want to keep, I like this carnality. Well, just remember, that's going in your loss column. You have an eternity to face. So you can hold on to it if you want to. Jesus still loves you. But remember, there is a resurrection coming and there will be eternal judgment. Amen. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. And we never stop changing. I remember I was about nine years old. And um, my mother said to me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm thinking, what do I want to do? I said, well, I don't know what I want to do. But one thing's for sure. I want to do something where you never stop learning. <laughs> That's what I thought of as a nine-year-old. I never want, and I was a miserable learner. I mean, school was not my friend, you know. So that wasn't the avenue for learning for me. But whatever it was I was going to do. See, when I was 19 years old, I was a uh, journeyman in the bookbinders union. So in the late 60s, as a 19-year-old, I'm taken home from 450 to 650 a week. Now, I don't know what that's compared to today, but it could be like about $4,000 a week. So I was doing pretty good as a 19-year-old, and I knew how to spend it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, but you know what this is what I thought as a 19 year old I'm a journeyman in the bookbinding unit in the union and I'm going to do this same job for the rest of my life I have nothing more to learn and I couldn't stand that so of course Uncle Sam came knocking on my door 
and said, uh, do you like to eat rice? We have trip for you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so I joined the military with the plans of going to school to be a psychiatrist. I always, yeah, I always completed the psycho part. I didn't get the whole thing. <laughs> but I figured if I did that, that was a field where I would never stop learning, you know. Uh, but, you know, that didn't work out, of course. And uh, uh, then I became a, an auto mechanic, and, you know, that has its limits, too. And I thought, well, as an auto mechanic, and then I could get into maybe uh, being a manager and then maybe becoming an owner and maybe go down that route, but it just, didn't, it just wasn't fulfilling. And the only thing that ever fulfilled what I thought when I was a nine-year-old was the Word of God and never stop learning. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So what is the standard that determines whether you're a man or a child? Whether you put away childish things. Amen. We have to put away childish things and become a mature adult in the kingdom. Well, what's one of the childish things in the kingdom? What's, what's the infant babe in the kingdom? I need, I need, I gotta have, oh, give me, give me, give me. That's childish. That's what an infant does. You like that? I got four grandsons and now a great-grandson. You know, they all, they all done that. And kids, too, you know. So, and I'm sure you've known me to do that once in a while. <laughs> But it's doing away with those infantile things. Remember what, Timothy, what Paul said to Timothy? To put off youthful lust? Well, he was not talking about sexual things when he said youthful lust. Back in those days, in fact, the youth, you were a youth up until you were 40 years old. They considered you a youth until you were 40 years old. And to put off the childish, the, the youthful lust was the lust of needing to be approved by others. And Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, you're leading a church right now. You've got problems in your leadership. Stop trying to make everybody happy and stop trying to get their approval. That is childish. Stand up and do what you need to do. That's what Paul was telling him. Because you've got to put off childish things if you're ever going to grow. We need to start to think, to see, and to act as a mature being. Living in the blessing and in responsibility. Amen. Amen. See, it's about growing in a mature life. This is not about healing and prosperity or any other material blessing. Those are byproducts of a mature life in Christ. Now, we understand. We set our faith on it. We believe it. And remember, as the infant, it's all about me. I need prosperity. I need healing. I need, I, I, of course. And if you're under attack from the enemy, of course, we need, okay? <clears throat> all I'm saying here is that <clears throat> the more that we grow in the things of God, the more the things we need become a byproduct. You know, last night we talked about the Shunammite woman, right, at the end of the service. And we talked about how she sowed a seed because the man of God was coming by and it was about the anointing. Nobody told her about sowing. Nobody told her about giving. Nobody said, you need to give to this person. You need to do anything. She, out of her, her own heart, said, I want to give into this anointing that is passing by me on a regular basis. Right? Okay. And what happened? She got what she was not even asking for. She got a child. The devil came to steal the child. 
She ran, took that child and ran right to her seed, put the child on the bed that she provided, put him in the room in which she had built, and then she went to the man of God, the anointing in which her seed was connected to. He came back. The boy was raised from the dead. Then she, uh, he told the woman, you need to leave the land because the famine's coming. She leaves the land, and she comes back years later, goes to the king and says, I need I would want to have my land restored to me. And just as she gets there, Gehazi is talking to the king about all the things Elisha has done. And he goes, oh, and here's the Shunammite woman that I told you about with Elisha raised her boy from the dead. And the king sees her and says, give her everything she wants, restore her land to her, and then give her everything that the land would have produced while she was gone and give her restoration back into her life. See, that was all a byproduct out of something she just did out of a mature nature. This is the way we're supposed to live. We understand what belongs to us. We understand what, 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 what Jesus has provided for us. But it's a byproduct of living a mature life. Amen. Amen. Things were dropped on us as an infant, just like the parent meets the needs of their child. But then growth and maturity is required. Now, what happens when we grow in maturity? Responsibilities come. Just like a child in the house. A child that's grown in the house, responsibilities are given to them. So also, we are to grow in a responsible life before the Lord. What's a responsible life before the Lord? Doing what he tells you to do. That's a responsible life before the Lord. It's not about, oh, I'm doing this to show myself responsible. No, no, not at all. A child in the house does the responsibilities of what the parent gives them to do. And that's what our life is about as a responsible, mature adult in the kingdom is we do what the parent tells us to do. Amen. Amen. So just like children, you know, in the house, the parent meets their basic needs, right? But if they're not responsible, let's say they're not responsible and they're rebellious. Okay. Okay. I'm talking about myself. I was a very rebellious kid. When I hit 12 years old, I was done with anything good. And, but you know, my parents still met my needs. They still took care of me and all. There were no Disney trips for the rebellious. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. There's no Disney trips for the rebellious. And it's the same thing with us. God will still take care of you and meet your basic needs, but there won't be no Disney trips for the rebellious. He still loves you. He's just not taking you to Disney World. Nope. You know, it's just like when my son lost his, uh, didn't lose, we took his uh, driver's keys. He took his car keys away from him because of something that he did. And he said, um, how long am I going to be without a car? And I said, well, we'll see. I was not going to tell him, well, it would be a week or it would be this or that, because then he can act like a little snot like he wants to, and then after a week he gets his keys back. That's not happening. So I said, well, we'll see, because I was going to watch his attitude. You gotta, as long as you have a bad attitude, you're not getting your keys back. Until you get yourself straight, you'll get your keys back. Well, he got himself straight pretty quick, and within a week he got his keys back and never had an issue with it again. We need to know what the promises of God are so we can have faith in it and it can't be robbed of what belongs to us. That's what it's about. You know, you don't get sick. Do you know that? You don't get sick. The devil comes to steal your health. That's all it is. He's stealing your health. You do, you do not get sick. The devil don't come to give you anything. He comes to steal. He's come to steal your health and the product of having your health stolen is sickness. He doesn't come to make you poor. He robs you of your prosperity. You're the rightful owner of prosperity. And the, word, the first usage of the word poverty in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it's defined as driving out the rightful owner. 
You are the rightful owner of prosperity because of what Jesus has done for you. And when the devil, you let the devil drive you out, the result of it is lack. And it's all about taking your ground back. Taking back what belongs to you through the word of God, the power of God. Taking your place, standing your grounds. Amen. Are you with me? Material blessing is part of the down payment of the inheritance. The inheritance will be full that we receive in, in, in eternity. All right? But it's all about growing and maturing. So growing and maturing is living a life that's pleasing to God in thought, in character, and actions. You ever get a thought and you go, I can't be thinking that. Don't be thinking that. You need to stop thinking that. Anybody? Or is it just me? Is it just me? Or you, you all there? Okay, so you get thoughts, and it's like, nope, can't be thinking that. That is not right. But you got to say what the Word of God says. You know, sometimes I don't want to say what the Word of God says. I'm like, no, I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to think. And I know what the Word says. I'm like, I'm not going to say that. I'm just not going to think that. Because I'm really not ready to let go of that. Is that only me? When you finally say, I'm going to say what the Word of God says, you'll kill that thought. Doesn't mean it won't come back. You'll have to kill it again and stand up to it until it don't come back anymore. Amen. Living our life today with a view of the coming resurrection from the dead and eternal judgments that will pronounce rewards and losses. So we build off the foundation the foundation of, that's been provided of resurrection and eternal judgment and press on to maturity as one who lives with the resurrection and judgment in mind. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is going to bring that to you more and more yeah. about stuff before you make a decision about things. And I, it's going to, you're going to get within you the idea of will this produce an eternal reward or a loss? What side of the column is this going to be on? Because I have to make a report when I get there of profit and loss. So start living with the view of eternity. You will be moving one of these days. And you need to prepare for the move. Nothing wrong with moving. It's a good move. But we have to prepare for the move, don't we? Amen. And when we make that move, we will then enter into the lengthiest part of our life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. I'm growing because I'm going into eternity with rewards. Unfortunately, there will be losses, but I'm hoping, I'm looking, I'm praying, and I'm setting my faith that there'll be more rewards than there are losses. That my profit column will get longer than my loss column. Father, I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you bring this to my remembrance that I would walk more and more in a manner worthy of you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God is good. God is good. I'm glad you came tonight. Pedro, we're glad you're there tonight. Barbara, we're glad you're there tonight. Charlotte, Gordon, Sandy, we're glad you're online. And uh, we know that the Word of God's blessed you also. Because the word of God is good and it's always good. It's profitable in all things. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you and honor you. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that as we come before you with our giving, Father, we do it with a heart of honor, with a heart of gratitude, Father, that we honor the anointing that you move in in our house, that you touch our hearts with and move in our lives. And I thank you, Father, that as we do sow our seed, 
Father, it comes back to us on every wave because we have continually sown and sown and sown and it comes back and comes back and comes back so that we can sow and sow and sow and it comes back and comes back and comes back because as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest shall not cease. So, Father, we thank you for it, bless you, and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Live stream, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, if you'd like to sow seed. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. We're always here to help you. If you have any questions about anything, anything you want to share, you can always email me. The email address is on the website. Just email me and let me know, and I will certainly get back with you. So I appreciate your participation and being with us and joining together in the corporate anointing. Amen.